for that in this place this morning. Well, thank you so much, Zoe. Hey, we're glad you guys are here today. An opportunity to worship the Lord together, right? Amen. And uh, see a lot of folks. I've already met tons of visitors this morning. I want to say thank you so much for coming today. Uh, when you came in, you got a little brochure, a little section we encourage you to fill out just as a record of your visit. Drop it in the offertory plate or bring it to me after the service. We would love to get to meet you if I haven't had the opportunity to do so already. Also, I want to let you know, students, 6th grade through 12th grade, Disciple Now is coming up March the 16th, 17th, and 18th. If you have not signed up yet, then you can do so this morning. Uh, Sign-ups are still available. You can meet Brandon Roney, our student pastor, in the foyer. He'd love for you to sign up. It's going to be an awesome, awesome weekend. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, Algernon is going to be the speaker of that weekend, and he is a phenomenal uh, speaker. So I'm looking forward to how God's going to use that weekend. But right now, hey, let's welcome each other. Shake some hands. Welcome one another to God's house to worship today. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hear 
God bless you. You can be seated.
to bless him in this place today. Is he worthy to be praised? Lord, we bless your name in this place today. God bless you. Amen. Amen. If you are, we've got several men, uh, I think right after the, after the Sunday school hour, getting ready to head over to Montgomery on a mission trip with James. Some of them are already there. If you're heading on that trip, would you stand up so, uh, so people can, can see where you are? You see several of them in here. We've got a few are ready to share Jesus with those. So if you would, just, just bow your head. And guys, if you would, would kneel at the altar, those of you in the congregation, just bow your heads and, and throughout the week lift these guys up. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the privilege you give each and every one of us to be a part of this trip. We've got, got a handful of guys down here at the altar and others already in, in Montgomery working. Father, but everyone in this room has an opportunity to be a part of the trip. Father, allow us just the, the chance to, to lift these guys up. Father, we pray for their safety today as they travel. We pray for their safety on job sites as they, they work on homes in the community. Father, we pray for opportunities for these guys to share your love with a lost world. Father, with, with folks in the, the common ground and, and Christian Missions Unlimited community, Father, that, uh, that don't know you. So we lift them up, Father. Pray divine appointments uh, for each and every one of these guys individually this week. Father, we again pray for safety on the job site. We pray for a change in a community that, that's hurt and looking for something. And, Father, they certainly are celebrating a, uh, a win in a basketball game, but they still uh, are searching. And so, Father, we, we pray that, that through these guys you would just use them as a willing vessel to share your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue to pray for these guys throughout the week as they go on mission to Montgomery. Very excited about how the Lord is going to use them. Hey, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, say amen. And then let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel. We're going to look at chapter 6 this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through this gospel. And the Lord is teaching us a ton of stuff. In fact, we're using the term astonished to describe the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that directly from the text as we study Luke's gospel, as people were astonished at his ministry. But Luke chapter 6 this morning, I want to preach this message to you. I'm really excited about it, hoping that it will stick to all of us. So Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, you can stand with me uh, in honor of God's word. The Bible says, now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. And some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he had entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread and which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man whose, was there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, uh, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And they themselves were filled with rage and disgust together 
what they might do to Jesus. Let's bow together. Father, it's um, a great privilege as a fellowship to come together in freedom and listen to your word. And I would pray in the name of Christ that you would grant us the grace necessary to receive the scripture and apply it to our life today. And God, I also want to pray in Jesus' name that you would expand our capability as a fellowship to love you greater, to be involved even more so in your mission to make disciples everywhere. And God, thank you for inviting us into that mission. Thank you for granting us the Spirit of God at the moment of conversion that fills us and uses us with power to declare the good news of the gospel. And God, I would pray this morning as we look at this text that we would find a new freedom, some of us. Perhaps some of us are weighed down with our own man-made rules and regulations. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would free us from those chains just as you did Paul and Silas in prison. And you would grant us the understanding to walk with you hand in hand, loving you wholeheartedly and loving others as ourselves. And God, I pray also for this fellowship in this particular hour, if there be any who do not know you personally, that you would draw them to salvation, that you would show them indeed you have come to give rest, rest to the weary. And God, I pray as well, even us who know you personally, that we would continue to find rest in your presence. And we thank you, God, that you're here this morning. And we're trusting you to speak to our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Well, this morning, I'm going to open this particular message with probably the cheesiest introduction I've ever used in the face of my preaching. Are y'all listening? Cheesy, uh, translated, is also corny. But what I want to do, hopefully, was I was studying this passage. This continued to come to my mind. And so I thought, okay, this is going to work. You know, in elementary school, uh, there were some individuals who used to get on our last nerve. Uh, when I speak about elementary school, I'm not talking about those bullies. I'm not talking about the class president. I'm not even talking about the smartest kid who was in the class. The person who used to drive us nuts was the hall monitor. You know, this kid drove us absolutely crazy, walking around the hall, you know, acting like he owned everything, acting like he owned everybody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all just get down with me on this introduction. Y'all remember the hall monitor? God bless that individual. But they always thought they were so much better than everybody else. They had a little clipboard. They had a little number two pencil looking down their condemning noses, trying to find somebody breaking the law so they could write our little names down and go show it to the teacher real quick. Punk. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> hall monitors, too, drove me crazy because they not only you know, kind of led by the rules that the teacher gave, but they actually came up with their own little rules. Uh, it was interesting, you know, you had this rule in school, I'm sure, when you were in elementary at least, uh, that you were not supposed to chew gum in school. Anybody had that one? Yeah, well, the hall monitor, he would add stuff to that. So not only could you not chew gum in school, but he would come up and be like, is that gum in your pocket? Boom, he would write your name down. You are guilty. He'd walk up to another person. You look like you're thinking about gum. Boom, you're guilty too. I'm going to write your name down. You know, smoke bellowing up from his pencil. Just thought I'd add to that, that picture for you. So happy to find people messing up. You know, Jesus Christ, throughout his life and ministry, was actually followed by hall monitors. The hall monitors that I speak of were those who were Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and even the rabbis. They constantly looked down their judgmental noses, hoping to find someone breaking the laws and these self-appointed hall monitors in Jesus' day were busy too. They not only studied the Old Testament laws, but they also, listen closely, added some extra commandments to the law of God. 
In fact, as we noted last Sunday evening, they had added over 600 commandments to God's law, and they were teaching them as if they came from God himself. Now, we think about people like this, and we often think, how could they do such a thing? Adding laws to God's laws. Well, not so fast. It is entirely common for people to make up rules and regulations in our day also. I remember growing up that Sunday was considered the Sabbath rest for the Christian. I remember also all the extra rules that we had added to that particular Sunday. And by the way, just for free, Sabbath was actually Saturday. The reason that we worship on Sunday is because that is a picture of when the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. But you know, I remember Sunday became kind of the Christian Sabbath and so many rules were added to it. I was invited on one occasion to go water skiing over to a friend's house on Sunday afternoon, but I was not allowed to. It's a day of rest, uh, my parents told me. Matter of fact, uh, it's like you can't ski on Sunday, that is a sin. Y'all out there? I I remember seeing people growing up too because I began to create some rules and regulations myself. Driving home on Sunday, I'd see some individuals mowing the grass on Sunday. And I'd think to myself, those sorry heathens, look at them mowing their grass on Sunday. And sad to say, I projected not only that, but some of my own main made-up rules. One example, I used to think to really be spiritually connected to God, I had to spend at least an hour in prayer and study of my Bible a day. And if I heard someone only spent 15 minutes in prayer and Bible study a day, I would think, those ungodly heathens. I'm so much better than they are. You know, it's super easy to become a spiritual hall monitor. In fact, I guarantee you that we have some spiritual hall monitors in the building this morning. So with that in mind, let me assure you that I don't want to be a spiritual hall monitor, but I must learn how to avoid it. So this morning, we're going to see a couple of ways that we note from this text of Scripture on how to avoid becoming a spiritual hall monitor. Step number one is stop creating rules and regulations. Stop creating rules and regulations. Let's look again at the first scene uh, in the Scripture this morning, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says, Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of the grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. Now, everybody right now say, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh, there's a problem. Verse 2, some of the Pharisees says, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, we know from this text that it was indeed the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was set aside by God as a ceremonial day of rest from one's work. The Sabbath day was observed even before sin ever entered into the picture. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, 2 through 3, the Bible says, By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he set it aside, because in it he rested from all of his work which God had created and made. And then God included the Sabbath day in the Ten Commandments given to Israel in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now the laws of God, as all other laws of God, were given not to restrict people, but actually to be a blessing to the people. See, when God would give a law, when God would give a rule, what he was really saying is don't hurt yourself. That's what he's getting at. So the Sabbath day was actually to be a blessing to the people. Sabbath day was to be a day of rest. But for some reason, the Pharisees 
Sadducees and scribes and rabbis as well, but the Pharisees in this text made it their duty in life to be sure that no one was working on the Sabbath day. So they devised a list of legal regulations, a set of weekly traditions that all were to keep to ensure that they would not break the Sabbath. I remember discussing some of these traditions in my undergraduate studies. Let me explain how they did this. Uh, I actually found out the Pharisees had 39 sets of rules concerning what could and could not be done on the Sabbath day. One of those traditions, uh, or rather, yeah, one of those additions was actually you cannot pluck wheat. You know, one commentator notes, and I quote, actually no law prohibited the plucking of grain in order to eat on the Sabbath. Gleaning handfuls of grain from a neighbor's field to satisfy one's immediate hunger was explicitly permitted, Deuteronomy 23, 25. What was prohibited was labor for the sake of profit. Thus a farmer could not harvest for profit on the Sabbath, but an individual could glean enough grain to eat, end quote. A few other burdensome traditions were added to the Sabbath as well, which are unbelievable to say the least. On the Sabbath day, you could not spit on the ground. You could spit on a rock, but you were not allowed to spit on the ground. If you spit on the ground, that was cultivating the ground. Cultivating was work. You were helping the ground bring forth crops. Therefore, you broke the Sabbath. That is some miracle gross spit. Can I get a witness on that one? <laughs> Another rule that was added, listen, and I, I stress that. Another rule that was added to the law of the Sabbath was that you could not carry an orange on the Sabbath. That was considered carrying a load, and carrying a load was work. Now, could you imagine living during these particular times, these times of the Pharisees? You wouldn't want to walk outside your house on Sabbath for fear you might come into contact with one of these self-appointed spiritual hall monitors. They had exchanged, and please listen to this, they had exchanged the blessing of the Sabbath, and they'd actually turned it into a burden for everyone. I guess catching people breaking man-made rules and regulations on the Sabbath was not considered work. <laughs> Boom. Y'all out there? But let's notice the response of the Lord Jesus together. Verse 3 and 4, Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and he gave it to his companions. The bread that Jesus Christ is speaking of here was known as the bread of the presence in the Old Testament. We find it in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. Uh, there were 12 loaves of bread made fresh for the Sabbath day and laid before the ark of God as an offering to the Lord. The bread was then eaten by the priest alone. However, on one occasion, David was running from his attacker Saul. And while he was escaping, he became hungry and stopped off in the house of God. And there he asked the priest to give him some food. The priest responded, quote, there's no ordinary bread on hand, but there's consecrated bread. So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread that was there, but the bread of the presence, which was removed before the Lord. You know, we find from this account of eating the bread on the Sabbath that David did not receive punishment from God. You know, Jesus Christ makes the obvious deduction in our text. He's saying, though the divine law restricted the bread to priest alone, extreme human need overruled this particular regulation. Now, if this was a divine law and the tradition, the added law, the extra law that the Pharisees created was that you could not pluck grain and eat on the Sabbath day, then what regulation do we see here that is overruled by the Lord? He's saying the traditions of men do not restrict a person from meeting necessary needs. Now, the argument of Christ was rather simply saying, if you're going to condemn me for plucking grain on the Sabbath, then you will also have to condemn David 
This is a massive statement which would have fell like a ton of bricks on their heart because the Jewish culture, they would never condemn David. David was the anointed king of God. They had read about David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart. But Jesus is like, if you're going to condemn me, you're also going to have to condemn David. And then Jesus goes a step further and he really drops the truth on them. Notice verse 5, and he's saying to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now here, Jesus Christ uses a messianic title found in 1 Samuel to refer to himself. He calls himself here the Son of Man. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am master and I am commander and sovereign over the Sabbath. Now obviously those around Jesus would conclude that Jesus had to be a lunatic. And why would they say this? Because only God is over the Sabbath since God is the one who instituted the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus is simply saying, if you condemn me for plucking grain and eating it, you have to condemn David, the king. And most importantly, if you condemn me, you are condemning God because I am Lord over the Sabbath. No, Jesus is saying, he's simply saying, I'm God. <laughs> are y'all out there? And it is why he's like, you want to condemn them? You're going to have to condemn me because I'm Lord over the Sabbath. What an awesome statement. And what application do we find from this text of Scripture? How can we really bring it home to where you and I live? A few statements here that I want to give to you. First of all, the further from true devotion to God we are, the more rules and regulations we create. Let me say this again. The further from true devotion to God we are, the more rules and regulations we create. It's so interesting. Uh, for just a moment, if you will consider uh, that God is on this side of the stage, and I am extremely close to the Lord, right? But the further from God that you get, the longer you step away from Him, the more you begin to try to create this system on how to live a holy and sanctified life. And because you're not really focused on God, the only thing that we can do logically in our minds is create a system of rules and regulations. So we actually create our own little religion is what we do. And so we begin to make all of our own little list. And then what we do with these little lists is we walk around and we see if everybody else is living by our list. Do y'all hear this? So we create all this stuff. But so we, the closer we get to God, and I'm going to see this in the second point, but here's the big idea. The closer that we get to the Lord, the more concerned we become with serving others instead of condemning others. What an awesome concept this is. Let me give you a second little statement here. Those who live by man-made rules and self-created regulations tend to be hypercritical of others and often downright mean. When you create your own rules and regulations, you become hypercritical to other people, and most of the time, you just become a mean individual. The third little statement here, the ultimate goal of the spiritual hall monitor is to point out what they perceive to be faults in others while simultaneously puffing themselves up with pride. And so that's it. You get down here and you're totally away from the Lord. You're away from the scripture as well. And you begin to create your own little ideas of what holiness and sanctification looks like. And then you begin to go around and find people who aren't living up to your standard. And what you're really doing through your condemning is you're seeking to build yourself up and make yourself look holy and spiritual. That is opposite of how we're supposed to live. Let me give you the fourth little statement here. We must, and this is huge, and I add myself to this. Please listen, and all these are true. But we must guard our hearts from creating a religious system built upon the sand of our own preferences. 
We've got to guard our hearts. This is huge. Our heart, C.S. Lewis says, is an idol factory. That's what our heart does. It just creates idols over and over and over again. And so whenever we get away from our relationship with God and we're not really focused on loving him and following him, we come down here and our hearts quickly begin to create these idols. And oftentimes it's our own man-made, self-created religious system that we set up as what we serve. It's idolatry in a nutshell. And it's so wild, too. By the way, just please listen closely. This is not only true of individuals, but it's true of local fellowships. If you have a local church who's really, uh, they may say that their desire is to glorify God, but oftentimes you can get around a local group of believers on a Sunday morning, and what they do is walk around looking for people to breaking all of their little laws that they've created, extra-biblical laws. The reality is they're trying to put themselves up as a local fellowship that really has it going on, that really knows what's up, really knows how to live a holy, sanctified life, but they've created this whole religious system. They get it from their pastor, their teachers, their Sunday school leaders, all of these people. They create this system, and they become legalistic, and they become judgmental, and they condemn people. And that's why when people walk in the door don't look like them, they don't pay any attention to them. Oh, those people can't be holy. And it's wild because they say they have a passion for God. Local fellowship that's in love with the Lord, desires to glorify God and make Christ known. Whenever they get around here and they really begin to love on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? Somebody comes in and it not look like them, they jump all over them. They love all over them. They don't come with a pointing finger. They come with open arms, welcoming those people in. Well, why do they do this? It's what Jesus did. <laughs> the Pharisees are the ones over here creating the rules and regulations, pointing at people. But Jesus is like, hey, hey come here. Come here. Are y'all you, are you with Massive difference. There's a lot of people, and I don't know how else to say it, but there's a lot of people who have bound their own hands, bound their own hearts with their own self-made man regulations. They've created all of these things, and all they've done is drug themselves down. There's no freedom to love God and love other people. Serve the Lord, serve other people. So listen, you don't want to be a spiritual hall monitor. Make sure that you're not creating a list of rules and regulations and projecting them on other people. There's a second step that you and I need to take, and that is we need to start serving those in need. Verse 6 in your Bible on another Sabbath. Everybody say another Sabbath. And this is huge because the text is really allowing us to see this morning, the Spirit of God leading Luke to write, is that all of this happened on the Sabbath. It says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. So it's another Sabbath, another pharisaical plot to bring charges against the Lord Jesus. The spiritual hall monitors are looking for Jesus to mess up again. Verse 8 in your Bible. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up come forward and he got up and came forward and Jesus said to them I ask you is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to destroy it you know the spiritual hall monitors didn't understand the intent of God's command to keep the Sabbath day holy see man was not created for the Sabbath the Sabbath was created for man and huge point here so please you've got to listen closely because this is wild man and I, I want to make sure that I don't skip something here the Pharisees were using the Sabbath to enslave people. The Pharisees were using the Sabbath to enslave people. Jesus is showing us that the Sabbath was actually designed to restore people. 
After six long days of work, the Sabbath was there to restore people. The Sabbath was actually given to serve people who just simply needed to rest. And now Jesus is going to show you and I in plain sight what the Sabbath is for. Verse 10, says, after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and he was restored. And although the Pharisees and Sadducees did not work on the Sabbath day, and please don't miss this sentence, Although the Pharisees and Sadducees did not work on the Sabbath day, they still experienced no restoration. They didn't work, but they weren't restored either. The only person who experienced restoration in this text was the man who stretched forth his hand and took hold of Jesus. Now I'm going somewhere. The only man who experienced restoration in this text is the man who put forth his withered hand and received restoration from Jesus. It became clear to me in my study as I began to look throughout the scriptures at this idea of the Sabbath. You see, the author of Hebrews talks about the Sabbath rest. Listen, New Testament talks about the Sabbath rest that does not end. Hebrews 4 and 10 says, For the one who has entered Jesus' rest has himself also rested from his works, just as God did from his. God restored and literally rested when he finished the work of creation. God's son rested when he completed the work of the new creation. We may enter into his rest by trusting his word and obeying his will. We can do this as we listen to his word, understand it, trust it, and obey it. It's a quote from Warren Wearsby. You know, the Old Testament Sabbath, and please listen, this is wild. Man, I hope this is clear. The Old Testament Sabbath was actually given by God as a foreshadowing of what he would eventually bring to all who would believe. I say, well, what is he going to bring? Here's rest and restoration. That's what he's bringing. You see, I have realized that I was spiritually paralyzed. Let me just kind of break it down to how it fits with me. I was spiritually paralyzed, could not bring myself to God I realized that I had neither rest nor peace. And then Jesus said to me, while I was sitting kind of like you in a service on one occasion, he says, get up and stretch forth your hand. And I did by faith. And in that moment, by his grace, he gave me a Sabbath rest which will not end. <laughs> I've been given freedom from the works of the law and been totally restored to God based upon his work through the cross at Calvary. Restoration is where it's at. So even the Old Testament law, uh, which condemns me because I've broken it. I'm not talking about man-made laws. I'm talking about the Old Testament law. It condemns me. Indeed, the Ten Commandments are there, and they condemn me left and right. You know, don't lie. I've done that. Don't steal. I've done that as well. Uh, don't murder. I ain't done that. But uh, the Bible says, you know, if I have hatred in my heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom. Uh, yeah, I've done that. Don't commit adultery. You haven't done that, but the Bible says if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Done that. That's four of ten. They're all, they condemn the fire out of me is what they do. But you know what's wild is that they're supposed to. They're supposed to show me my sin. So the book of Galatians says that the law of God is like a tutor. Uh, literally, what is the tutor doing? It's pointing to the fact that we're imperfect, that we are unholy, that we are not God-like. That we can't come into God's presence when we look at this law because it condemns us. It points a finger at us. It shows us where we really are in our lives. That's what it does. 
But it's a tutor that points us to Christ. And what's awesome about this, and Paul the Apostle says that in the book of Galatians, that this teacher points us to Christ. And I love to kind of use this particular analogy, but just think for a moment about two classrooms. I already talked about elementary school, so go to class with me. One of the classrooms we have, uh, the teacher, her name is Miss Law. Miss Law, she condemns us the entire time we sit in there. We can't do anything, right? Good night, Miss Law. Chill out. But she shows us how messed up we are. But you know what Miss Law does? Miss Law says, hey, there's another class you can go to. Really? Oh, well, who's the teacher in that class? Oh, it's Miss Grace. It's Miss Grace. Well, You've got to be kidding me. You and I can go and experience grace if I get out of this class? Yes, you can. Well, I'm going to that class. How, how do I get there? Well, you can't get there by being good. We already showed you that. The law condemns the fire out of you. So what do I do? I've got to place my faith in Christ. Christ who came and bore the penalty of my sin on the cross. God treated Christ as if he committed my sin. He was buried and resurrected. Jesus became a curse for me so that I might be blessed. It's in Galatians as well. And so then what do I do? I, I place my faith in the Lord Jesus and I get outside of this class and come down here and get into Miss Grace's class. And now because I'm so overwhelmed with the love of God and how he has reached down and grabbed hold of this sinner and just completely forgiven me of all my sin and just given me grace upon grace upon grace, I don't desire to go out and live like a hellion. I'm in love with God now. So now I want to do what? Serve people. Now, go back to the text swing for just a moment. Y'all still with me? Say yes. The Pharisees, they're not over here in love with the Lord. They're over here in love with their own man-made religion and rules. So whenever they come to church, or synagogue, I should say, they come, they're looking at everybody. They're like, here comes Jesus. Let's see whether or not he tries to heal on Sabbath. If he does, boy, we're going to get him because that's work. Man, they were so in trenched in this classroom setting. Uh, they were so entrenched in this classroom setting that they wanted to become the teachers of the classroom. So they began to create their own little rules and then try to exalt themselves and point out everyone else's sin. So judgmental, so hateful. Jesus is like, you guys are missing it, man. Which is right? Should I do harm or do good on the Sabbath? I'll tell you what I'm going to do good. Hey, man, stretch out your hand. What an awesome service, by the way. Stretch your hand out here. Jesus reaches down and grabs hold of it. Boom, guess what that guy experienced? Restoration. And guess what he did? He left a classroom of the law and entered into a classroom of grace. You can get in there. It's an awesome class. It's invited to everybody. All who would believe. Are y'all with me? This is awesome. I, I, I'm, I feel like I can't get the point across. I know it's in my notes, but I still don't feel like I'm getting it across. What is wild about this is uh, the Bible teaches that people were so busy trying to work their way to salvation. And Paul the Apostle, man, in Romans, he's like, you can't do that, man. The law didn't even save people in the Old Testament. They were saved by faith, not saved by the law. So anyway, what happens is, literally, when Jesus comes and he completes the law, fulfills the law, he then frees us from the law and brings us to himself, which is an absolute eternal place of rest and restoration. So it's not one day a week, it's forever. It's a Sabbath rest. And what are we resting from? <laughs> the condemnation of the law. And can I get a witness on that? I want some restoration from that. 
free, free, free to serve others. Now, let me give you the, kind of the big picture here, and I'm going to give you these couple statements, and then I'm going to preach another point. Are y'all listening? As you get close to the Lord, what happens here is that you don't create all these rules and regulations. What you do is you begin to have the heart of the Lord. You begin to develop the mind of Christ. And then as you exercise this, you become sensitive to people's needs around you. And then you actually want to serve people. As you get further away, the more rules and regulations we begin to create. We get closer to the Lord, the more we desire to serve. Now check this out. It's the same as the local church too. That local church that's really making up all these rules and regulations and legalistic men, they're totally missing the boat because their eyes aren't focused on God. And that's why when people walk in or their community is not ministered to because, oh, that community, they don't live up to our rules and regulations, man. They don't fit the mold that we've created, which we say is holy. And instead, they're just judging everybody. But this over here that loves people, that loves the Lord, they see the community as an opportunity to serve and to express the love of Christ which they themselves have received. This is wild. Changes how we look at fellowship. Changes how we look at what the church ought to be doing. Let me give you a couple of application statements real quick. Spiritual hall monitors cannot serve God because they're too busy serving their created rules and regulations. Here's another point. True devotion to God is evidenced in our sincere desire to serve those in need. Let me say that again. True devotion to God is evidenced in our sincere desire to serve those who are in need. A person can get no more connected to God the Father than God the Son. And what was he doing? Well, he was serving people who were in need. That's what Jesus did. Now, look at me. I'm going to give you a free point here. I got two minutes to do it. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Some of y'all came into church today. Let me kind of do it like this. Some of y'all came to church today and you're sitting and you, you're, the, you're, you're that dude with the withered hand is what you are. Are y'all with me? You've got some kind of hidden sin in your life, some kind of issue going on in your life and some of you don't know Christ personally and you've got this, uh, this withered hand but instead of bringing it out, man, you're hiding it from everybody. Oh, man, yes, yeah, good, good to see you in church too. So, yes, I've read my Bible this week. Yes, I spent three hours in prayer yesterday. Withered hand. You know what Jesus said? Stretch it forth, man. Expose it. Because here's the deal. As a Christian, if I've got some issues in my life, some hidden sin that I don't want anybody to see, you know what this does? It causes me to not experience genuine rest and peace. And so what I do is I hide it and I try to convince everybody that I'm a holy, I'm a holy guy, right? I'm a spiritual guy. I got this mess going on. And inside, I know there's no genuine peace. There's no genuine rest. And the Lord's like, hey, stretch that forth. Put it out there. <laughs> and when you put it out there, Jesus reaches and grabs hold of it and restores you. <laughs> gives you rest. It always gets quiet when you preach on hidden sins and stuff, doesn't it? I wonder how many people look like this today. This is you. But boy, you got a good mask on. You just like the Pharisee and the Sadducee, ain't you? You put together a sweet game for everyone to watch. Jesus is like, hey, hey, Concord, Concord, y'all be real this morning and just expose that sin for what it is. 
and come to me with it. I will restore that withered hand. I want to encourage some of you to do that today. Stretch it forth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning.